Hello everyone, welcome to A Reason for Hope. Very glad you're, you're joining us today. A Reason for Hope is a, a live hour-long Bible Q&A show. That's what we're all about. You send in your questions through our multiple online platforms and we delve into uh, God's Word, the Bible, to find the answers to those questions. That's what we're all about. So it's very exciting. We never know quite where it's going to go. It's just based on your questions. So we're very grateful for you, the viewer. We welcome any honest question about the Bible, it could be a specific you know, verse or passage of scripture that you'd like expanded upon a little bit more, expounding it, expounded upon, or expanded, both of those work, I think, I'm gonna use both of them. Um, or maybe even something you're going through in your own life, uh, you'd like a biblical perspective or even other belief systems or Christianity as a, as a whole, but any honest question, as long as you know the Bible is the source for uh, the answers um, for those questions, we believe that it is, that it gives us the manual for life and it's the place to turn for God's truth and it's literally God's word breathed out by him, profitable in many, many ways. And so we elevate his word and, and the Lord in this show and we're glad you're part of that tonight. My name is Dave Robson. I'll be fielding all those questions as they come on in with us today. We have Pastor Peter Martin and Pastor Sean Richards. How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good. Doing good? Doing good. I managed to change my accent three times in a conversation with a total stranger and they never corrected me. <laughs> That's what I do a lot of the time, depending on who I'm talking to, but I have an excuse. You do a pretty good American accent, I must no, say. No, I do not. I mean, as long as not it's bad. southern. <laughs> yeah. You could do you could do a good pretty good southern one. As long as it's a cowboy. Yeah. I but do nothing good compares to your impression of a woman. Me? <laughs> I I do impression of a woman? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Iconic. <laughs> Just look how you're drinking. You know, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I do a great impression of the cowboys in the Back <laughs> to the Future movie because that's a very extreme accent and easy to do. But. Anyway, I don't know what we're talking about anymore. So let's move on forward. As I mentioned, Reason for Hope is a live show. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here, Mountain Standard Time. We're based here in Tucson, Arizona. Don't be fooled by my accent. We are in the Wild West <laughs> here. But of course, you can join us all around the world. Um, through the wonders of the uh, internet so we are um, very you're very welcome wherever you are join us around the world we have people from all around the world from people uh, pastors and ministers in Africa to my dear mother in London England so you're all very welcome uh, you can go to our website it's, a, it's an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson so keep that in mind when you're trying to find us our website calvarychristianfellowship.com uh, while you're there you're welcome to have a little click around or poke around our website. There's lots of things going on, events, and of course we have services here. So if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area and you're looking for somewhere to uh, to worship the Lord, you're more than welcome to come and check us out. But for the purposes of tonight, if you go to that Watch Live tab that's right there, that will take you to our live page. Whenever we're live, we'll stream to that page. Um, when we're offline, you'll see a countdown and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events, but we're live right now, so you'll see the video. You'll be able to sign in with a username of your choice and uh, be part of the show there through the chat. I'll be chatting there with you and, and keep my eye on that. So the direct link is ccftucson.online.church or follow the link, as I mentioned, from calvarychristianfellowship.com. Uh, we're also streaming live to Facebook, facebook.com slash ccftucson, or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on Facebook. You'll see the picture there of our dear uh, senior pastor, uh, Scott Richards, who's with us Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at the moment on the show. Uh, but so uh, yeah, we'll be live there as well. You can um, put your question in the chat function on the live video and I'll be monitoring those as well. Don't forget to, to share and to like and all that good stuff on Facebook. We'd love to get a, a further reach. So 
can help us out if you've been blessed by this ministry uh, to uh, share us around. If you haven't been blessed, then just don't. Just be that way. <coughs> Keep it to yourself. That'd be great. <laughs> we we you were dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, what was I saying? Yes, we have a mobile app, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You can download that on your mobile device, whether it's iPhone or uh, Android uh, or your iPad or whatever mobile device. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. Uh, we have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well because we're fancy. So if you have those devices, look for our channel, Calvary Christian Fellowship. You can watch us on your big screen and see how handsome we really truly are in high def. <laughs> it is uh, absolutely outstanding. I'm trying to lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm gaining it. I think it's come from you to me. Uh, we're on YouTube as well, of course. YouTube.com slash at reason for hope 546. If you type that in, then you might be crazy. Just search for a reason for hope on YouTube and you will find us. Look for that Calvary Chapel uh, Dove lo logo right there, reason for hope on YouTube. That live tab right there is a great place to go. If you missed a show, you want to recap every time we've been live, it will automatically archive right there for you. So not only uh, our Reason for Hope shows, but our services here. So you might want to recap on a question or like I say, watch a show you missed. But um, the live tab, where did my, that went backwards. Uh, the live tab, <laughs> I don't know what I did. Too many fingers I have. Uh, yep, the live tab, YouTube. And, and again, like and uh, subscribe and click on the notification bell. That means you'll get a little notification when we go live and it will remind you like, oh, it's my favorite time of day. I can go watch Reason for Hope. I hope this is not the, your favorite time of day. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's up there. But if it is your favorite time, come for counseling with yeah, Peter Martin. Maybe develop other parts of your life. <laughs> that's, <laughs> right, that's right. That's right. Hey, what could be better than getting in the Word and uh, discovering God's truth, Peter? It, is, it could be the best part of people's Loving your face. wife and kids. <laughs> <laughs> Laying down in bed in safety at night. This year, <laughs> I guess so. Uh, pastor Scott, our senior pastor here, is on Twitter, or Twitter, as you say in this country. His <laughs> handle is Scott R for H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. Did I say that right? Yeah. Did I? It's hard for me. I'm partially dyslexic. It's really hard. Scott, <laughs> let, letter R, number four, letter H. It is. It's, it's a true talent. Whew. Anyway, he's on Twitter. Look for Scott Richards. And he posts highlights from the show and he posts um, uh, just commentary on world events. There's so much going on in the world uh, as it pertains to end times and prophecy and such. And so he posts um, commentary on those kind of things and some funny things as well, some shenanigans and stuff like that. So if you're on Twitter, uh, Scott Richards, Scott Arthur H, follow along uh, with him. <clears throat> That'd be great. And we're on Rumble. We post our archive there and some other videos on Rumble. So if you're on Rumble, look for A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A and you will find us there. I'm not on Rumble personally, but I probably should be. Looks like it's getting some traction. And last but not least, our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questionsforhope spelled out with letters at gmail.com. You can email us there, of course, anytime and we get to those questions as well. And keep in mind, if you're on the radio, you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. So we're not live with you per se. Uh, so keep that in mind. So you use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and we'll try to get to that question on our next show, and then you can watch that question on the next day. <laughs> or consider when you're not on your drive time, joining us on one of those other aforementioned um, platforms, and you can send your question in live. So with all that being said, whew, Peter, would you pray for us today? We'd love to pause and pray. Yeah. 
then the Lord would lead us. I feel like I should start praying before you start into that <laughs> spiel. You know, <laughs> might make it run a little smoother. <laughs> or during it. Or during. <laughs> I'm <laughs> always praying during. <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, oh Lord, please have the, this mumbling in the background. Uh, yeah, so much. We can switch roles if you want. Sometimes, then you'll see. How difficult I am. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we love you. We're grateful for you. We're thankful that we get to spend this time in your word, uh, going through these varying questions and uh, seeking answers for it through your truth, Lord. I pray that me, Sean, and Dave would be able to uphold your, your, uh, your truth right now, God, that those listening would be encouraged by it and that we would be able to glorify you during this time. In your name, amen. Mm, amen. That is true. Amen. Well, um, before we delve into questions and that today, does any guys have something to share or something well, that we're uh, doing before we... We had a, yeah. an incident, correct? Well, actually, it was two months in anticipation. In the month of March 2023, we received some information about the father revealing to a woman the date of the rapture. Now, of course, just reading Matthew 24 would not suffice for this because it says no man knows the day or the hour, she's a woman, and that the father has put this in his own authority, and she clarifies, the father revealed this to me. Well, hearing out, of course, the proof text and so forth, we found the explanations that this self-proclaimed watchman uh, presented wanting or insufficient to prove her case, and basically just invited her to either apologize for misrepresenting scripture or allowing the false prophecy to play out. Uh, the prediction was that on the 6th of May, 2023, at 6 a.m., by the way, um, the rapture was going to happen. I don't know, she didn't specify. <laughs> But so that makes a big difference. <laughs> it does. But <laughs> as the time when is of this May 9th, I don't think it matters anymore. Yeah, yeah, at the time of this recording, three days have passed, and since I felt that this was worth addressing, we're always going to be running into people like this. The Watchtower Bible and Track Society has their annual prediction of Armageddon. Harold Camping caused a big hue and uproar in 2012 when he claimed to know the date of the rapture and then altered it twice. And we're going to be seeing this pattern more and more because Scripture plainly states that wicked men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, as is always the case, it takes two to tango when it comes to any false doctrine. Someone who is willing to play fast and loose with the truth, and someone who's not willing to do their homework to look up and challenge claims that are made. Now, obviously, you'll run into a few roadblocks, or I guess assumed landmines, when you call people out on self-proclaimed spiritual insights, like the individual who informed us about the rapture. And of course, after the false prophecy proved itself to be as such, and Jesus was vindicated, the date was altered to this Saturday. And if not, then it's going to be in November 27th, 2024. I don't think I'll care enough to revisit it when we get there, but that's, that's just me being smarmy. When it comes to this, though, we want to equip all of you listening for these kind of encounters and exchanges and a little introduction towards effective and meaningful Bible study, as well as the reason why we should always be critical of anything anyone comes to us with in the name of God, including this program. So first, 
the why. Why would you question something that comes from God, allegedly? Well, because we have examples of people who challenged legitimate prophecies, legitimate ministries of the Holy Spirit in searching the scriptures to see if these things were actually so. And that's recorded for us in the book of Acts chapter 17 regarding the believers in Berea. So we have a historical example of people who were commended, a positive example, an exemplary group of people who examined, who double-checked whether or not something that a legitimate source was telling them so if an illegitimate source comes along, doubly so, because we don't know if someone has a uh, you know name tag that says, I'm a false prophet and I'm here to deceive you, life would be a lot simpler, but it's just not the case. They'll present themselves as very godly and spiritual people. Might even throw in a few Bible verses and sling the spiritual hash. But at the end of the day, or I guess at the end of last Saturday, the or I guess at 7 o'clock last Saturday, the truth still caught up with them. And we don't want to be caught up in that kind of embarrassment where they will then delete all of the videos on their YouTube channel and re-upload another series of them clarifying their next big lie. So when it comes to this, understand why we double-check the sort of things that people come to us in the name of God. We have historical examples in the Bible of that being a positive thing. The second question we should ask is, how do I check up on these things? Well, building on the Church of Berea's example, they searched the scriptures. Now, at the time of Acts 17, the New Testament wasn't fully written yet. There's a good case to make that maybe one or two of the Gospels were in circulation in most of Paul's letters, but the New Testament as a whole wasn't as widely accessible as we have now. However, another series of scriptures were available to them, which was what we call today the Old Testament. There's a reason why there are 39 more books in the Bible than just the New Testament books, and that's because it's all speaking from God's Word. When God revealed himself to mankind, he's done so in a variety of ways, and as the author of Hebrews notes, the ultimate culmination of these things is through his Son, who's called the Word made flesh in John chapter 1. But noting that the Word of God made flesh, God the Son, the incarnate deity that we can see and interact with and understand the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, is, of course, a historical figure. The apostles had the direct opportunity to see and hear everything that Jesus said and did, but we don't have that honor. So how do we access that revelation of God? Well, we look at history. We observe the poetry of people who were tested to be speaking from God and found sufficient. And, of course, when we're talking about the people who put themselves forward as speaking for God, they backed it up with public miracles. That's why the apostles were performing miracles. That's why Jesus performed miracles. That's why the prophets performed miracles. Not just because that's the sort of thing prophets do. It's what they had to do in order to be taken seriously. Just saying claims and quoting verses means nothing if it's not in line with reality. And if it's going to be new information or in addition to what God's already spoken, he's going to back up words with deeds. And how we examine that is given to us in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, where we're not to despise prophecies. When someone claims to be speaking for God, that's what a prophet is, someone who speaks on behalf of another, we shouldn't dismiss it out of hand, but test all things, 
Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. If we understand that if I test what God is speaking, apparently in the present tense, Mm -hmm. with what God has spoken, they're either going to line up or I'm going to figure out God isn't actually speaking because the standard of every prophet was to be consistent as well as accurate. So when someone comes along to you, in this case, a date of the rapture, which neither of us deny, the idea that this was going to happen at a set date and a set time, that this time could be known, could be revealed before the event itself takes place, would be in direct conflict and contradiction to very plain statements made by Jesus, the most significant of which was, and I quote, no man knows the day or the hour. They'll, as they did, wave their hands and say, you're taking that out of context and mincing down words and saying that, well, it says the Father only knows and he will reveal these things to us. And I think a second grader would be able to see past that veneer. But the point of emphasis needs to be your discernometer needs to go up, as we oftentimes see on the broadcast. Whenever someone comes to you with something that's in direct conflict with very plain statements made by Jesus, because if they have to say, well, that doesn't mean what that says, then how do I know what you mean means what you say? Because as you see, the fruit of this kind of ministry is going to be as flexible as something that only a lie can be. The problem with the truth is it's very rigid, very uncompromising, and it stays the same no matter how much we'd like it to change. A lie is very flexible, a lie is very comfortable, but it doesn't line up with reality. And if you're of the group, that prefers the truth, that has a love for the truth, and that is willing to maybe exert some emotional and mental energy in recognizing or examining the truth to see for what it is. This is true in scripture. This is true in politics. This is true even of our familial relationships. Someone comes along to you with false statements about someone else or something that happened in the news, and you make no effort to examine it or understand why you should believe this person over others, then you're setting yourself up for the deceivy position of every deceiver. And if they're going to be out there, since we know that it is commendable to even check up on legitimate sources and how needs to be done through scripture, we encourage all of you not to fall for traps like this. I don't want to bother of mentioning the username of the person who reached out to us because they are one of many. But when it comes to their methodology, it doesn't change. First, they'll clarify that doesn't mean what Jesus said, or that doesn't mean what that says. They'll insist that plain statements are actually vague, and then take vague statements and insist that they're plain. Then, if you are lucky and you are able to witness within, uh, hopefully, a few weeks, if not your lifetime, their predictions becoming false, you can follow up with them and see if they were sincere. Maybe they, you know, were just taking in a lot of uh, spiritual-esque movies. They had a dream. They falsely interpreted it as from God, and their experience or their emotions ended up taking, uh, I guess, more credit than what was due. Mm -hmm. They would then apologize. They would then acknowledge, I was in error, and this clearly isn't from God, and I'd be more careful with how I handle his word. But if, on the other hand, like we see here and like we'll continue to see into the future, people that double down and say, oh, no, the, the revelation, it, it's, it's much more broad than it seems. And it's actually on this date, and then it's on this date, and then that doesn't happen. Then it's going to be on this date. You can tell by one failed prophecy, a false prophet. It's 100% or nothing if it's coming from God 
which is why we clarify if we're sharing an opinion or if we're plainly reading God's Word, it's going to stand or fall on its own merit. My opinion's worth nothing, but if I say my opinions are God's and I'm wrong, well, if I was living in Israel, you would be legally obligated to kill me with rocks, and for good reason. But if, on the other hand, someone is living in a society that kind of considers this just uh, free speech on the Internet, grant them that dignity, allow them to continue to store up wrath, I believe is the word, and they'll answer to God for it someday. But don't let it be said of you. Have an open Bible, have a heart and an attitude towards the truth that always has energy and time to double check what you hear, even from us, even from people that you trust, hopefully one and the same. But the point being made is just that. People like this are going to keep coming, and we hope that you are all prepared for it. And all it takes is a willingness to say, that's interesting. Let me look that up. Yeah, it was interesting. I was actually talking to my friend about this uh, a week ago, but we were talking about the, the doomsday prophecies of the environmentalists, uh, which have been numerous, uh, predicting the end of the world at various times in the last century, and obviously we're still here, so none of them came true. But what we're talking about is, is the interesting kind of strategy that I see going on from, I, I believe it's from Satan. I think it's a, it's a ploy of Satan. And he's what he's doing, and it's very brilliant in my mind, is that we all at this stage in history know something is awry. We, we see the fact that humanity for the first time has kind of the means to wipe ourselves out mm-hmm. via nuclear weapons. We see how crazy things are getting. We see the deterioration of the Western civilization that uh, a lot of us have come to grow up in and, and has provided a lot of stability for the globe. So we see all this chaos, this injustice, these various ideas that are coming about. And I, th- I feel like it's just present in the consciousness of man that we know something's coming, that things are coming to an end. And it's so pronounced that even people who don't have a relationship with God are aware of that. And so what Satan has sought to do in this modern time, this is my theory, is that he's sought to kind of fill that vacuum, that man knows that the, the world is numbered, the days of the world are numbered, that it's coming to an end. And so Satan is utilizing these various, I guess, false prophets as well as doomsday prophets from even secular venues in order to kind of seed this uh, perpetual chaos within our culture. So instead of people turning to God and saying, wow, you know, like, like Sean said, what does God's word say about his coming? And how could I be prepared for it? And how do I know what preparation looks like? Instead of doing that, it's instead becoming a doomsday prepper, right? Uh, assuming that the world's going to come to an end, and so I'm going to, you know, dig out my basement and prepare for the end of the world. Uh, that essentially does detract from what God is trying to do in these last times, right? Trying to bring people to consciousness of the fact that, again, their days are numbered and they need a savior. Uh, Another interesting thing that I think it does is it plays into the desires of people. I think a lot of people want to escape from what's going on right now. They see how bad things are getting and they're really terrified about how bad things could get. And so they are desperate for someone to come into this void and to say, hey, like, don't worry, this is all according to plan. And in fact, you only have to sit it out for another couple months or a year or something like that. That brings a lot of comfort to a lot of people and it makes them desperate for that kind of a message. It also puts them in the driver's seat of their life. Instead of look, looking at the world and its uh, decrease in injustice and thing, I mean, increase in injustice and stuff like that and feeling out of control, this puts you very much in the driver's seat. It's no, this is what's happening. This is when it's going to happen. This is how you prepare for it. It's very comforting to hear that message. But as Sean said, it's a false comfort. 
right? It may feel good in the moment, but ultimately when the prophecy doesn't come true, you're in a worse state than you were before you believed it. So I see how appealing it is to listen to people like this. And I see why ministries that uh, would have been obscure even a couple decades ago are gaining lots of traction on social media and things like that. It's because people are desperate. They see how chaotic the world is and they want answers. And the message of the Bible is really frustrating. Uh, One Mm -hmm. theologian said, like, you never really stop and think about how weird Jesus' statement is when he says no one knows the day or hour, uh, not even the Son, but the Father only. He's like, if if Jesus was a Western prophet, he would have said, ah, the day and hour, I know it, and it's like 20 years after I'm going to die, right? (laughs) He would pick like a date after he would die so he wouldn't have to deal with the fallout. If he's an Eastern prophet, he would give a date that was within his lifetime to garner as much followers as he could in his lifetime, Mm. right? But to say no one knows was such a radical thing to say. He's like, and and people don't like it. We want certainty. We want clarity. We want to know what's going on. So to not give that to us leaves people feeling anxious and a little bit lost. And God is saying, you know, you can find comfort in this world, but it's not going to come from certainty of outcome. It's going to come from you trusting in me who is guiding the events of the world. Right? Trust in the sovereignty of God is a very, very difficult thing to find comfort in, but it's the only place we got. Um, did you have something you want to say real quick? I was just thinking, yeah. you're right, Jesus wasn't much of a salesman in that yeah. regard. <laughs> you know, even the, the parables and stories, right. it was after, wasn't it soon after he fed the, the 5,000 that he um, talked about, you know, you need to eat my yeah. flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> and it said many walked away from him at that yeah. point. Like, who can understand this teaching? Yeah. And it was like he intentionally you know kind of uh, weeded out the the flock so yeah just i thought that yeah you're right jesus didn't really say things that were like oh that sounds good i know i mean how tasty would it be is like oh well follow me for a little bit and i'll tell you when it's gonna come but to say hey i i I don't even know you know like it's gonna happen but the father in heaven knows that is a radical statement to make and one that would have frustrated people and definitely dispersed a lot of his followers yeah it did so uh and and today again for for us as a church to say hey we don't know when Jesus is coming back. That's not a popular message. No one's going to click on that video. No one's going to be like a thumbnail. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. You yeah. know, like that's, that's not going to be clickbait as the, as the kids call it. You right. know, it's, but it's the truth, right? Either we find comfort in the sovereignty of God and his providence, or we find comfort in a false prophet. And Jesus says, I came, come in the name of my father and you're going to reject me, but someone's going to come in their own name and him you're going to accept. Yeah. Right, someone who comes with that confidence and says, "I speak for myself," right, and this is when it's going to happen, and I know for a fact, right, that guy you're going to listen to—the guy who speaks in a way that honors the Father and seeks to glorify His power and His dominion—that's not the person that people are going to listen to, yeah. uh, because that's not what the heart of man wants. But I, I think it has a, a double effect as well. The, the double effect, I think, is found in an interesting prophecy by Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, in Second Peter chapter three, uh, and this is verse, start in verse 3, because why not? Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fall asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, if you saturate a culture with doomsday messages, you know what eventually people do? Mm. They turn it off. Mm. It's just white noise. And it starts to convince people, okay, this again, you know, prophecy update. But, I mean, everything's just continued since our fathers fell asleep. You know, the, the Jesus hasn't come back yet, and the church has always said that Jesus is coming soon. And it starts to turn people's conscience off 
to the real world events that really are occurring that would signal to us we're in possibly the ballpark of the return of Christ. Mm. So I, I think that it could tire people, it could fatigue people of, I just don't want to hear about it anymore, I don't want to talk about it anymore. And it detracts from what Jesus said this teaching should do for us, which is to produce within us a doctrine of imminency. Yeah. That Jesus could come back at any moment, and that's right. exciting, and that's beautiful because I want to see him. And so I want to dedicate every moment of my life to the proposition that I could go and see him yeah. in the very next minute, right? And I want to live my life in, re in that reality, right? That's how I yeah. want to... Uh, be faithful to God, be faithful to his promise of his coming. Mm -hmm. But over time, like I said, this kind of inundates us, and we're just, we're just like, okay, you know, they've been saying it for so long, I don't think it's going to happen, right. and then it becomes white noise, right? It, yeah. it stops, uh, all these modern current events stop kind of doing anything, right. because you just become sick of it, right? You become sick of all these uh, doomsday prophesies. So I, yeah. I, I think it's, a, again, I think it's a brilliant strategy and one that we need to know how to counter as Christians. So uh, anyway, yeah, let's get yeah. Let's get into the questions. Yeah, sounds good. Well, thanks. Thanks, guys, for sharing that. Um, the questions from, from Penn and Cassie. I see that you're joining us again today. Thank you. I had your questions uh, loaded up because they were left open yesterday. But you're with us again, and you restated your question, which is a good thing to do. to do. It. That's the way to do it. You just harass us until we answer your question <laughs> in the most email. lovely way. So, uh, so thank you for joining us again. Um, question from Penn. Uh, why doesn't God, this is, this is a, there's a lot to this question, even in the way it's worded. Why doesn't God perform miracles? Is it because we have doctors now and God doesn't perform as many miracles as he did in the past? Because now we have, you know, we can cure things through science. But of course, in that question, why doesn't God perform miracles is also the question, does God still perform miracles? Yeah. Um, or does he not? And is it because that we can kind of help ourselves, I guess? Yeah, well, let's first define what a miracle is. Um, in general terms, a miracle is something that wouldn't have happened without outside intervention, mm -hmm. just the bare bones definition. We usually attribute that to God. Yeah. So if, for example, we're going to be very passe about it, all intents and purposes with the laws of nature unimpeded, I let go of this little cubit stick here, it's going to hit the table and make a funny noise on the microphone. I keep doing it, I keep doing it, suddenly it doesn't hit the ground. Why? Because my other hand caught it. That would be an example of a miracle. Now, if I were to let it go and an unseen hand caught it, something that we could attribute to God, would that necessarily be a biblical miracle? No. And here's why. When God acts in the sense of miracles, it's always in line with his nature that God's going to always be like him. And if he does something in this way, it's not going to be for entertainment. It's not going to be to, you know, shut up a critic. It's always going to be, as we stated before, to verify his word. That every time God did a miracle, some sort of intervention into the normal events of nature, introducing a new factor, if you will, not necessarily breaking it, we see that's for a purpose so that people understand that he is the Lord, that he's speaking. Mm. That's why the prophecies were given. That's why the miracles were done. That's why, most plain example, the plagues of Egypt towards Pharaoh were given so that he would understand your gods aren't the authority here. Right. There is a God, and he's the one talking. So when we're asking, you know, why don't healing miracles happen today? There's 
two camps that people sometimes fall into. One's called cessationists, the idea that the need for miracles is done because the completed canon of Scripture is done. Now, you understand the logic. If miracles are meant to verify Scripture, we have all the Scripture we need this side of eternity, then there's no need for God to do a miracle. But then there's the other stat, the other group of people who are and there's various names for them. We oftentimes associate them with the Pentecostal group. People who just, you know, the pastor sneezes and they think that that's a miracle of God. This is all just some hyperactive, super puppet-on-a-strings thing that God's causing everything to happen, and so you get over a sickness, oh, praise God, it's a miracle, and it ends up undermining the whole reason why miracles are supposed to be rare. Now, I'm not saying don't be thankful when the God who heals all your diseases gets you through something tough, but when we're talking about a miracle, we need to have high standards. So when it comes to modern-day miracles, does God do them? Well, if I'm consistent with my definition of a miracle, that something that without God's intervention wouldn't have happened, what is a miracle that we are hopefully seeing every single day around the world? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3, no one calls Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Mm. That without the direct intervention of God in your heart, you would not have become a Christian. You would not have cared or been aware of your need for a Savior. The act of conviction to a soul that is dead in its trespasses and sins, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, is a miracle. The fact that people are coming to a saving relationship with Jesus in any sense is a miracle. The fact that Christians are wanting to grow in their relationship with God is a miracle, an active intervention of God in their lives and on their hearts and minds. So why doesn't God perform miracles? He is. I think, and we used this term last week, and it was uh, well-favored, so I'll repeat it. It's a very underrated and unappreciated miracle. When it comes to the salvation of the lost, there are miracles that are happening every single day in the medical sense, but more in order to accomplish the greater miracle, and that, of course, is salvation. So it's not that we need to lower our standards for miracles or necessarily that we need to dismiss the idea of miracles altogether. We wouldn't support cessationism or Pentecostalism. We'd say what? define miracles biblically. And if you understand that salvation itself is a miracle, we're seeing it happen every day, because that's where God's priorities are at. The healing miracles, the raising of uh, the dead to life, the uh, exorcisms and so forth, those were all meant to verify the Word of God that is meant to lead us to salvation, which is God's highest priority. That's why he's acting. Yeah, I mean, uh, I really like the question. Implicit in it is, I think, more of your philosophy of why God does perform miracles. And it seems like you're, what you're insinuating is that God performs miracles in order to heal people uh, or to take right. care of their problems. And uh, I always go back to John chapter 9 where Jesus heals the blind man. And people are kind of philosophizing about why is he blind, you know, what's going on. And Jesus says, uh, you're, you're all wrong, basically. Mm. Uh, he is blind so that the power of God may be worked within his life. So Jesus is essentially saying that this guy's life has been organized by God in order to uh, allow God to glorify himself within this person's life, right? To, to utilize him in order to glorify God. And that's the purpose of miracles, is to glorify God, is to point people to, to him. Because as Sean pointed out, 
the greatest miracle that we're in need of is the salvation of our soul, yeah. right? Uh, a healing of a body is cool, right? It's really amazing when that happens, but ultimately this body's gonna die. No matter how many miracles this body is going to receive, yeah. it eventually is going to die. And what is most important is what's going to happen to my soul once my body leaves, uh, once my once my soul leaves my body. Yeah. Uh, in fact, this is what Jesus tries to hint at when he heals people in his earthly ministry. Uh, I think the best story to illustrate this is the one where he heals the paralytic. Right, so before he heals him, he forgives his sins. And everybody's like, that's yeah. not what this guy came to get. You know, like he obviously came to be healed. And, and Jesus says, what's, what's, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or pick up your pallet and walk? Yeah. He says, but that you, you may know that the Son of Man has power on this earth to forgive sins. Pick up your pallet and walk, and the guy's healed. Right, so Jesus' point is, obviously it's easier for me to say your sins are forgiven because no one could verify that. But just so you can know that I have the authority to do this, that God has yeah. kind of okayed that statement, I'm going to do something that only God could do and miraculously heal you. So all miracles are performed to glorify God. They're mm. performed to point people to their ultimate need in the Lord. All of our infirmities, all the things that happen to your body are symbolic of the ravages that have happened to your soul as a result of being separated from God. Right? Your body is decaying because you are separated from the source of life, right? Mm. That's the whole point. That's why we are in this world that has so much chaos and death and destruction. It's because it's not the world that was intended because God is separated from it. He has removed his presence from it in a very real way so that we can make a choice. We can make a free choice of who to serve and why, right? We have, as Pascal put it, we have enough darkness in this world so that the greatest skeptic can feel conviction in what he believes. But there's enough light in this world so that the most faithful religious person can feel rationality in what they believe, mm. right? That's how God is organized, so that we can have a free choice as to who to serve. But at the end of the day, you do see outpourings of God's miraculous power through his spirit at various times in biblical history. Uh, so some of them happen, let's say, in the Old Testament. There's not a lot of miracles that we see happening prior to Moses in the Old Testament. In, in the book of Genesis, there's very few, actually, prior to Moses coming on the scene. There's some big ones in Genesis, like God creating the universe, but there's <laughs> there's not very many quantitatively until you get to Moses, and then you have a lot, right? Yeah. You, have, you have basically a miracle every other day. And then after Moses, then Joshua receives quite a bit of miracles. But then after the land is taken, miracles seem to stop. There's almost no miracles that happen throughout the entire book of Judges. Mm -hmm. And it's not until apart you get... from the judges themselves. Right, apart from guys like Gideon and some of their miraculous works. But for the most part, it's not like what they were seeing at the time of Moses and Joshua. And then you get into the kings, and once again, there's not many miracles there until you get to Elijah, and then there's a huge outpouring of miracles again. And then after Elijah, most of the prophets don't perform miracles, right? So most of the prophets that we have after Elijah and Elisha do not perform miracles to verify their message. They're in the office that was established through the miraculous workings of Elijah and Elisha, but they're not performing miracles in their own right not beyond their prediction, miracles. right, yeah. beyond their correct predictions of what God is going to do. Then you get into the New Testament, and again, long period of time between the last prophet dying, Malachi, and the coming of Jesus, and again, not a whole lot of recorded miracles. You know, there's a couple, like uh, the celebration of Hanukkah celebrates a miracle that happened there. But again, it's not like what it was. And then you all of a sudden have Jesus and the apostles, and you have a ton of miracles. And then you go into church history and they start to slow down. And it seems to be, again, God establishing an institution, utilizing miraculous power to glorify himself. Yeah. And then once it's established, it's not that they go away, right? Like I said, in, in Israel's history, they never stop, but they do recede 
once something is established, and that's why God seems to do it. So it's not as though God is uh, looking at the world and saying, okay, medical science has improved to the level where I don't need to heal people anymore. Again, we all die. We all die. God would still need to heal us if that was his plan and purpose in the ministry of his miracles. But what is established, and Sean alluded to it earlier, and why the, the need for miracles is not at the level of when Jesus came or when the apostles were preaching the word, is because there is an establishment of Scripture that is through revealed history, through the life and the, the bloody deaths of the men who performed those miracles, uh, and went to their graves. So there's not as much of a need to perform miracles at that level, that capacity, yeah. as when they were alive. So it does happen, but you just don't see the outpouring that you were seeing at the time of the Book of Acts, right? And that's that's okay. That's just the time in history that we live in. Um, but read the Book of Revelation. There's coming a time <laughs> where miracles are going to <coughs> it's pop up again. Yeah, they're yeah. going to do a lot of land office business in the end time. So, uh, but that's again, there's a reason for that. Yeah. That's a great. That's a great perspective. It's really important to to know, like you said, the, the purpose of the miracles. Um, and you can come. I mean, a lot of people come to God because they want a miracle. I mean, you have these healing rallies yeah. and events where people come because specifically, I want to get this cancer healed or yeah. this arm healed or I want to walk again, and that's their purpose for coming to God, essentially. But right. see, but previous like, point about false prophets. Yeah, that's right. No, but you're right. You know, the ravages of the body start to point them to their mortality yeah. and their need for some sort of a salvation. And then hopefully they receive in that search, yeah. they receive a gospel presentation and they're like, oh, wow, like there's yeah. something wrong with my soul, right? Yeah. And then they will hopefully seek out God. Yeah. And then it flips because, I mean, we're, we're called to share in the sufferings of Jesus. There's a, yeah. there's a lot that comes from our, our yeah. suffering in him. And even was it Paul that talked about he makes up what was lacking in Jesus sufferings not that there's anything lacking there but yeah. the, the the representation powerful, of that powerful passage in Colossians <laughs> 1 yeah yeah you know what I mean so so it's about. not just all about getting healed getting healed getting healed there's, right. there's walking through sufferings that that's part of the purpose of this time as you're saying yeah man it's really that and the fact he wasn't getting away with anything of all those years murdering Christians yeah right absolutely so yeah wow what a deep uh, deep subject <laughs> but uh, uh, Penn thank you for that question hope that helps you out um, sparked a great discussion. Uh, question from Cassie, and again, thank you for hanging in there for another day with us, and I hope you continue to do that too. <laughs> <laughs> We're here Monday through Friday, but I did the whole presentation. Uh, in Leviticus 2.3, why are grain offerings considered the most holy offerings instead of animal sacrifice? Were grain offerings more holy than that? In Leviticus 6.17, it shall be baked with leaven. I have given it their portion of my offerings by fire. It is most holy like the sin offering and the trespass offering. Yeah, so in other words, it's not saying that it's most holy in, in uh, again, qualitative Like manner. the most holy, Like it's, yeah. it's better than the other. It's, it's most holy as in the sacrifice system itself is most holy. It's most set apart for the purposes of God, and they have various purposes, yeah. Mm. Yeah, the grain offerings called most holy. The sin and trespass offering are called most holy. The altars of the... Um, tabernacle are called most holy the lamb uh, sin offering that was offered on the day of atonement is called most holy and if you get intrigued by words 
a good thing you can do while we still have the resource is uh, go to biblehub.com and they have what's called a uh, concordance and a interlinear section basically looking for common words in the original hebrew and when you see things like most holy what you can do is click on the hebrew or the interlinear section and click on that word and it'll include a list of how many other times that's used in the bible when i go to Leviticus chapter 2, I click on most holy, and it brings up other uses of the word, like Leviticus 6.17, like Exodus 30 and verse 10, like Leviticus 7.1, like Leviticus 10.12, all referring to different things, and you can look that up. But yeah, it's, it's not uh, making a distinction of the grain offerings. These things are set apart for the purposes of God. And also, uh, you know, utilizing the tools of Bible Hub, you'll be able to see what word is translated as most holy, and it's actually not a word that means most holy. Holy. It's just yeah. holy twice. So it's <laughs> karasim. kadosh, kadosh, right? So mm. uh, back in the day, they didn't really have punctuation in what they were writing. So there weren't exclamation points and stuff like that. And so if you wanted to emphatically say something, you would just double it up, mm. right? So in fact, uh, I think it's in First Kings, there was like a deep pit. And so it says it's a pity pit. Right? That's literally what it says in the Hebrew, but yeah. it's not going to translate it that way because that sounds stupid. Uh, but yeah, you would just double up the word and then people know, oh, like this is this is really. So if I say kadosh or holy, people are like, okay, it's set apart. That's really cool. But if I say holy, holy, yeah. people are like, wow. And if I say holy, holy, holy Watch is out. the Lord God Almighty, yeah. people are like, that is triple holy that is that is holy 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 you, know, you say like, it four is, times yeah. the universe you can't, you, can't. You, you try to say something <laughs> four times you can't do it you know because nothing <laughs> rises to that level yeah. you know? good. but no very good question yeah that's, that's yeah that's the answer, though. that's good um uh, these language things <clears throat> bit of bit of culture and uh, you know language interpretations and stuff like that. very good uh, another question from Penn here if we if we can't know christianity for certain what is the point of accepting christ as our savior in faith, so there isn't. There's, there's an element of from yesterday. Is, is, yeah, there's an element of faith. It is a faith. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Yeah. The Bible tells us that. Well, so there is an element of faith to it. Yeah. So, what what this question is regarding is me and Adrian did a life study on Charles Darwin yesterday, hmm. and uh, if you guys didn't listen to it, I encourage you to go into our archive and, and check it out. It, it really moved me to read about his life. I had always assumed that he was an atheist, and reading this really powerful article written by a Christian talking about how. Darwin had faith, he was a Christian, and he lost his faith. And what the nail in the coffin was, was actually losing his daughter uh, to a really, really horrible disease that killed her over the course of months. But the interesting thing about Darwin, and the reason why we were studying him, is because he really liked the natural sciences, because he became uh, obsessed with this idea of knowing things emphatically. I want to know things, and I want to be certain about them. And the natural sciences kind of gave him that outlet to be able to know things certainly because you could test it and you could see immediate results. And that provided him with a lot of comfort and he really liked it. And his wife actually kind of chided him on that. And she said, look, I know that you want to know if there's a God the same way you want to know a scientific proof, but it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. You can't know God in that way. And even if you could, your mind might not even be able to comprehend it. So we need to be satisfied with what we have from the Lord. We need to be satisfied with the fact that we don't know for certain. Mm. Now, one of the other things I mentioned, though, is that when you stop and think about it, you actually don't know basically anything for certain. Uh, like, let me take something really simple. How do you know you're awake right now? Like, do you know that for a fact? Mm. And you can say, well, there's 
some evidence that I'm awake. Maybe you have someone pinch you right now, right? But you, you can't know that for a fact. Mm. You believe it and you're living your, you're obviously behaving as if it's true, but you don't know it to be true. Mm. And that's the whole point. You can't know that God is real as an absolute certainty. That's why you need to exercise faith. Now, as Sean said, faith is not departed from reason. Faith actually is the manifestation of reason. So I have enough reason to believe something, so I step out in faith. And we do this all the time, right? Uh, take marriage, for instance. Do I know that when I commit myself to my wife on the altar that the marriage is actually going to last till death do us part? No, right? But I'm taking a step of faith. I'm saying yeah. I, I've seen enough from her character and our relationship to commit myself to her for the rest of my life, and I'm going to act that out. I'm going to seek to manifest that for the rest of my life. But do I know, number one, that she's going to uphold her part of the bargain, and number two, that I'm going to be able to uphold my part of the bargain? No. But it's something that I have enough reason to believe in that I'm going to take that, that step. And what I mentioned yesterday is what atheism really does well is it pokes holes in people's certainties. It shows mm. them, like, well, you can't really know that the scripture is the infallible word of God, because look at these variants that are contained within scripture, and you can't really know that the morality of God is better than any other morality, because look at all these terrible things that he offered people in the Old Testament, and you can't really know. And there are reasons for all those things, but there will always be aspects of your faith that are going to plague you a little bit, that you're going to struggle with. Why did God allow that? Why is this the case? Why did God command this, right? And it, it always will plague you a little bit. You're never going to get to the place of absolute certainty. But again, you're never going to get to the place of absolute certainty in any aspect of your life. But if you want to live your life at all, you're going to have to take some leaps of faith. Yeah. You're going to have to act out your reason in a way that's concordant with the information you have. And so uh, I brought up Pascal's wager yesterday, where Pascal's point is you don't know that there is a God, but you also don't know that there's not a God. Mm. What you do know <laughs> is that you're going to die, and you also know that whatever state death is in, it's eternal. Yeah. And so if you got to choose, right, and the point of the wager is you have to choose. Yeah. Either there is a God or there isn't God. <laughs> Either there's a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned, or there is nothing. Yeah. I'm going to be an and atheist in faith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't, it doesn't really like, work. You, know, uh, you, you got to... You got to believe in something. And yeah. so his point is that it's far more reasonable to believe in God. And you just, you have to step out. You have to, you have to accept that you're never going to be fully certain. So in the pursuit, and I mentioned this about Darwin, in the pursuit of absolute certainty, Darwin became uncertain about everything, actually. At the end of his life, someone asked him about his faith in God. And he says, I don't know if there's a God. He says, but I also don't know if my brain could even understand if there was a God. Mm -hmm. Because he believed that his brain was the product of natural evolution and it wasn't designed or developed to understand philosophical truths. So he's like, even if there was a God, I don't think I would be able to even understand him if my brain was developed through evolution. Yeah. So you have a guy who was in pursuit of absolute certainty and he got to the point where he couldn't even trust his own intuitions because he doubted his own consciousness. So the lie that Satan gives us is you can know things with absolute certainty. Mm -hmm. So therefore follow absolute reason to its logical conclusion. The truth is, is you can't, but what you can do is take steps of faith that are built upon what you do know. And that's all any of us are able to do. So right. the point is, right, to answer the, the, the bottom of the question, the point is that this is how we have to live our lives. Mm. If you want to live your life in a way where you're only functioning off of absolute certainty, the logical conclusion to that is solipsism, right? Solipsism is a legitimate, you can look it up, it's a legitimate philosophical discipline that believes that since the only thing you can know for a fact is that you exist, 
right? I think therefore I am. That's Rene yep. Descartes answer to what we can know for certain. That's all you can know though. You don't know if you are in a dream world. You don't know if you're in the matrix. You don't know if you're like a brain that's in a test tube that's being experimented on by aliens. You don't know if you're in a video game simulation. There are so many things about your reality that you do not know. So what a solipsist believes is, I know I'm real, but I doubt the existence of everything outside of me. You could live that way. Not well, but you could live that way. Yeah. If you want to live your life to any capacity, you have to deal with what you got. You, right. you, you can't desire what we don't have. So that means, again, you're going to have to act out faith in some way, whether you're an atheist or not. And yeah. even C.S. Lewis points to that. He's like, you're not going to be a very good atheist if you can't get faith right, yeah. uh, let alone a Christian. So. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And even with, uh, you know, creation, evolution, it's all there's nothing solid. They're all the, the theories, that's you right. know, so, and, and I, I grew up thinking you are the, you are the science is the solid or you can choose one of these kind of faith yeah. or you can be faith. Yeah. Yeah. That's how yeah. I, but as a wait a second, me too. Yeah. You know, evolution is a, it's a theory, you yeah. know, there isn't, there's things that are unanswered and big gaps and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so very good. Um, well, we're approaching the end of the show. Let's try and get to at least one more question, uh, uh, from, uh, how's Halsey? How's it? Yeah, I thought I was reading that wrong, but uh, she says I uh, watched, I'm assuming it's a female, I watched a Mormon movie based on a true story. Are you guys familiar with uh, John Groberg and the movie The Other Side of Heaven and the sequel The Other Side of Heaven too? Um, if miracles, again back to this miracle thing, if miracles take place within the Mormon community, why is it false? Did God perform the miracles despite their false beliefs or something else? And you hear about this a lot, not even in Mormon, but miracles happening, these yeah. signs and wonders apart from Christianity or the context of that, is God just choosing to be gracious there or is it something else? Or I'd recommend the book written or co-authored rather by Adrian Van Vactor, uh, Unmasking the Masquerade, mm. where you kind of look more into those miracles and realize people are just lying to you. And if it's coming from the Mormon community, then that's triple the reason to doubt everything they say because their own prophet declared emphatically that some prophecies are from God, some are from man, and some are from the devil. It's when he made Islam. a... What? That's Islam. No, more, Joseph uh, Smith. Joseph Smith. <laughs> Which one? Uh, Muhammad said that. Some are from God, some are from, yeah, and then he gave the satanic verses, yeah. Well, I recall the uh, incident where he sent out the missionary to Canada and expected a huge revival. He ended up dying that year, and the uh, mission basically fell flat, and then he used that as a cover-up. I'm sure he could have quoted Muhammad. For it, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get the citation and source, but the point being made is this. Muhammad, too, also covered up many of his false prophecies by the same logic, and ironically, Joseph Smith compared himself as a Muhammad of this age, both false prophets. But the point being made is this. When you hear about actual documented miracles, quote-unquote, in the Mormon community, the only two ones that actually have any validity are the fact that when they moved to you know, the far west and tried to settle closer to Salt Lake City in Utah, that their uh, early crops uh, managed to survive because of a uh, plague of locusts that ate some of the parasites that would have gotten up in them. And they considered that providential, not a miracle, but circumstances that aligned that they considered an association with God. Not a miracle, but just lucky coincidence. A good comparison would be uh, the fog blanketing our soldiers in the approach to D-Day. Did God intervene or did we just get lucky? Maybe a bit of both. That's what providence is. But when we're talking about the idea of, oh, something good happened to bad people, so that means that they're good people. No, that's completely ridiculous. When we're talking about the idea of a Mormon community upholding a, fa a verifiable false prophet, a man who 
tried to claim that all nations of the world would be involved in the Civil War and Doctrines and Covenants. Was it 83 or 53? It's 83. 83. Uh, he named Great Britain by name and said the Indians would win it. When we talk about the uh, Jackson County uh, Temple that was supposed to be built, it's a vacant lot to this day, when he said that that would be built within their generation, many false claims as far as the fulfillment of the end times and even purchasing real estate for the coming millennium and so forth, along with very inconsistent and ridiculous pictures of God, Jesus, and a fundamental denial of the gospel. When we say that miracles are taking place, therefore that proves that that's true, there's three possibilities. One, Satan's being permitted as a sign of judgment, handing them over to the hardness of their hearts, and is working. Second Thessalonians 2 is all power, signs, and lying wonders. Secondly, they're lying. It's not hard. It takes practice. I'll give the magicians that much credit, but it's not hard to deceive people, whether it's in natural phenomena or just in deception of the eye and manipulation of people's emotions, especially when you motivate them with extramarital affairs. And then thirdly, that it's just fabricated history, that people are willing to lie in the name of what they believe is a greater truth. And we see in Mormonism, in most cults and false religions, and even well-intended like we started this broadcast with, or falsely intended people who want to make a name for themselves, people who will just simply contradict the truth because they have no fear of God. We know that Joseph Smith was a false prophet, not just by the standards that he held for himself, but even the standards that he tried to stand on. And when you look at his sources, uh, it doesn't matter what quote-unquote may have happened in the lives of his followers or in the history that surrounds him. He contradicted the truth, and if he claimed to be a true prophet, the miracles wouldn't have been necessary. It'd just be like standing on this program, whether we say it's true or not. You can look I mean, it up. I think up. that's the most interesting thing about the Deuteronomy 13 passage you quoted earlier. It says that even if a prophet yeah. gives a sign and he tells you to go mm -hmm. after other gods, you're to ignore them. So mm -hmm. even as Sean said... It, even if there was some sort of a miraculous event, that actually wouldn't prove. And I believe, you'd have to look it up to be sure, I believe Moses is saying, God is testing you <laughs> to see yep. if you'll fall after him. So again, it's not that there's an actual miraculous event where God's doing something, but he might be, as Sean said, allowing some sort of a lying sign or wonder to deceive yeah. people. That's really important because you would think, miracle must be God, must follow kind of things. So that's, that's, that's really... Uh, that's a real mind-changing And fact. two seconds, the citation for prophecies being from the devil, uh, an address to all believers in Christ by David Whitmer. Cool, thank you. God bless you. We'll see you same time, same place tomorrow. Thanks for being part of A Reason for Hope. Have a wonderful evening. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.